Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Michael Kingswood, story time. Recording this one late at night on Sunday, because I decided to do Vegas for the weekend, because, hey, I'm in San Diego, and it's a relatively short drive, so why the heck not? Of course, if I thought it through, I would have uh, realized that, hey, it's Vegas, and everybody drives to Vegas on Friday night and drives back Sunday evening, and so, yeah, <laughs> I had a bunch of traffic to deal with. But, hey, what are you going to do? It's all part of the fun of, uh, of that. But, hey, it was good. Hung out with some friends, won 300 bucks at poker, various poker tables, and that, that paid for my trip right there, especially since I stayed at my friend's place, didn't have to pay for a hotel, so it was just gas money for the it was the only real expense of the trip aside from fun and the 300 bucks in the poker tables covered the fun got some nice steak out of it and did some really cool stuff and pondered explored and uh yeah so that was good anyway so we'll get right back to it since it's almost bedtime and we'll just make this quick uh continuing on with goomer veil this this week chapters 15 and 16 uh, last we left off, uh, Julian and Radric had their new allies and were training them, and holy cow, the big bad guy Farzel was, just showed up at Town Hall with his bunch of goons, and well, we gotta see what the deal about that. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Chapter 15. Diplomacy. Julian tried to shake off the shiver that always came when his adrenaline began to flow, while also licking his lips in a vain attempt to wet a mouth that had suddenly gone dry. He had long since stopped trying to figure out how it was possible to be exhilarated and terrified at the same time. By this point in his life, he had come to recognize both as a soldier's constant companions on the eve of battle. That he felt them now, as he and Radric hurried to follow Fendig to intercept Farzel with the four fishing men following, should not have been special at all. Yet, for some reason, it felt different this time. Perhaps it was the eyes of various townsfolk, their expressions terrified beneath a facade of confident hope, following them as they rushed past. Or perhaps it was the protests from his injured thigh, reminding him that if the meeting did come to blows, he was not equipped to make a good showing. Regardless, when they rounded the corner and emerged onto Main Street near the town hall, Julian's heart was in his throat. Seeing twenty men on horseback, all armed with quality blades and wearing good thick leather breastplates with steel plates sewn on or, in a few cases, mail similar to what he and Radric wore, did not help the situation. The mayor, Constable Mallory at his side, was standing on the steps of the town hall, his hands clasped in front of him as he clearly tried not to appear terrified. He was addressing a pale-complected man who couldn't have been much older than 25, 30 at the absolute maximum. He had sandy blonde hair and a lean, muscular body with very broad shoulders. A scar crossed his forehead from his right temple to the brow of his left eye, and he wore a mocking smile on his face. Julian recognized him immediately. Son of a bitch, Radric murmured. He recognized the man also. Very quickly, they were within earshot, and it was clear Mayor Brimley was at a disadvantage. Hardly a surprise, considering. 
However, upon seeing them, and the fishing men behind them as they fanned out along the width of the street just as Julian and Radric had directed them to, the mayor squared his jaw and stopped whatever he was saying. The brigands noted their arrival as well. Though they looked disdainful, particularly as they regarded the fishing men, they nonetheless adjusted their formation to keep the new men in plain view. For his part, the blonde fellow looked over everything Julian's and Radric's men did with a measuring eye. Julian noticed his smile slip somewhat as he studied the fishing men. He was no fool. Then the blonde man's eyes alighted on Julian and Radric, and he burst out laughing companionably. <laughs> well, well, Volatier and Hinderbrook, what brings you to this fine township? I think you know what, Eisenholf, Radric replied. The blonde man laughed again as he shook his head. <laughs> Name's Farzel now, Corporal. He looked from Radric to Julian and back quickly. I assume you're to blame for the men I lost down at the falls? Farzel did not phrase it as a question, so neither Julian nor Radric bothered to reply. He sniffed at their silence. I'll take that as a yes. He sighed and shook his head. Now, normally, I take the skin off a man who kills one of mine. But I'll tell you what, for old time's sake, I'll let that slide just this once. Very kind of you, Julian quipped. Farzel nodded. It is. You obviously know each other. The mayor's tone was confused. Farzel laughed again. Oh, we know each other, all right. We're closer than brothers, aren't we, boys? We were, Radric replied. Turning to address the mayor, he continued. We served together in the army. He was a squad leader in the other platoon in our company. Constable Mallory's expression grew even more severe than it had been before as he processed Radric's words. If anything, the mayor looked more worried than ever. Farzel ignored them, though focusing his attention fully on Radric and Julian. And it looks like I was wrong about you two. His mocking grin returned as he spoke. I thought you had swallowed the propaganda completely, but look at you now. Julian got a sinking feeling in his stomach. This was about to get ugly. Glancing aside at Radric, he could see that his friend had the same thought. If Farzel suspected... What are you talking about? The mayor's worry and confusion was obvious from the trembling of his voice. His eyes flitted back and forth between Farzel and the two friends, and he mopped his brow with a trembling hand. Farzel's grin only deepened as he looked at the mayor. They were no more released from their enlistment than I was. No one was to be released. Looking back at Julian and Radric, he spat out, You left of your own accord, didn't you? You deserted. There it was, out in the open for all to hear. The sinking feeling became a cold lump of dread that radiated chills throughout Julian's entire body. There was no denying Farzel's accusation. It was the truth, after all. In the long silence that followed, all eyes turned onto them. Julian felt the urge to run away. Not out of fear, but out of shame. The constable's stare, the respected look of a colleague earlier, now held contempt. The mayor's was worse because his face was that of a man who had abandoned hope for despair and was ready to do violence to the one who had taken that hope. In this case, Julian was painfully aware that he was the one. Farzel laughed again and turned his attention back to Mayor Brimley. So those two were to be your mighty saviors, were they? He shook his head and snorted. <laughs> Payment is due in two weeks. Don't be late. 
He nodded and his men began turning their horses away. A trio set off down Main Street. Two columns of five spread out to either side of the street and began moving at a slower pace. Outriders and flankers taking station. Farzel looked back at Julian and Radric briefly. You two boys really ought to think about joining up with me. The authorities won't treat you any better for trying to play hero here when they catch you. There's strength in numbers, my friends. We can make very good money together. You won't find a better deal this side of the grave. Not a chance, Radric replied, taking on the stern Tony saved for green men under his charge who were making trouble. I'll make you a deal. Right out of here now and don't come back. Farzel looked, if possible, even more amused than he did before. As he rode away and the rest of his men followed, his laughter echoed in his wake. Julian watched the brigands grow steadily smaller until, not long after they rode past the town limits, they turned to the right and rode out of view. Swallowing, he braced himself, then looked back at the mayor and the constable. Disbelief, disapproval, hope, despair, terror, anger. All those and more were contained in their expressions. I suppose you'd like an explanation, he said. They both nodded. Mayor Brimley gestured toward the town hall. In my office. Mayor Brimley's office occupied most of the second floor of the town hall, which wasn't saying much considering the entire town hall took up less than the Orlock's tap room. Despite being small, it was well-appointed, with ornately carved furniture made from darkly stained wood, no doubt harvested from the forested hills north of town. The desk was particularly impressive, a massively constructed, ornately carved piece that had clearly been designed to intimidate people on the receiving end of its occupant's attention. Julian certainly felt intimidated, or if not intimidated, at least threatened and judged. It was only natural considering, but he still didn't like it. The mayor sat in his chair and looked at them over steepled fingers. Constable Mallory, a grimly disapproving expression on his face, stood beside the desk with his arms crossed over his chest. The fingertips of his right hand drummed rapidly on the muscles of his left forearm as though from anxiety. He probably couldn't wait to put them in irons. Local law enforcement often received generous compensation from the kingdom for capturing deserters. As though he was reading Julian's mind, Mayor Brimley said, Why should I not lock you both up right now? Radric replied, We're helping you. The hell you are! You've not made any progress. In fact, you've made things worse for us. The mayor leaned forward in his chair and scowled. Fazel raised his price to, as he put it, compensate the families of the men he lost. The men you killed. Before we knew anything about what was going on here. So you say, Constable Mallory interjected. Why should I not think you've been playing us from the start? For all we know, you could be in league with him. How stupid do you think he is? Julian asked. What are you talking about? Julian sighed. If we were working together, why would he tell you about us? Mallory blinked and scowled, then nodded with obvious reluctance. Fine, said the mayor. That doesn't change the facts about you, does it? Why should I trust you at all? Julian and Radric shared a long look. Then Julian shrugged. Tell him, Ray. Mayor Brimley knew most of it already. He might as well know it all. Radric nodded. Julian could tell his friend was as reluctant as he was, but there was little choice in the matter at this point. Drawing a deep breath, Radric began talking. Chapter 16 Lawful Orders 
Radric's heartbeat filled his ears, the thudding so loud he almost couldn't hear the screams of wounded and dying men all around him. He paid neither sound any mind. His only focus was the man in front of him and the movement of the man's sword. They had danced around each other for an eternity. Three passes and still neither had struck home with his weapon. Through the prism of his concentration, Radric felt a grudging respect for the man. He was the enemy, yes, and his nation had waged brutal war against Radric's homeland. But he was skilled, and he fought with honor. It was hard not to appreciate that. All around him, men on both sides of the battle had stopped their fighting. Those in the immediate vicinity formed a loose ring around him and his opponent. All eyes watched as though entranced. All enmity was forgotten before the spectacle of the mighty duel. Flexing his fingers on the grip of his saber, Radric advanced slowly. The man circled to the left, and Radric pivoted to follow. He fainted upward, but pulled back from the true attack as the man simply countered, a lightning-fast cut at waist level that forced Radric to leap backwards to avoid having his guts spilled. Landing lightly on the balls of his feet, he had to dodge aside immediately as the man followed his cut with a rising thrust toward Radric's chest. He barely avoided the tip of the man's sword by twisting his torso as he moved to the left, but he felt the blade tug at his mail for a heartbeat before he pulled clear. Slightly off balance, the only counter he could muster was a quick kick upward with the ball of his right foot. A soft grunt accompanied the satisfying feeling of his boot striking the man's side, and the man stumbled. Grasping his side with his left hand, he fell to the ground. Radric moved in, but again the man's reflexes nearly proved his better. Rolling onto his back, Radric's foe made a wide cut at ankle height, forcing Radric backward just long enough for the man to spring onto his feet in a single fluid move. They paused for a moment, eyeing each other carefully. Radric's opponent moved his hand from his side and returned it to the hand-and-a-half hilt of his sword. Then he inclined his head, a gesture of respect that Radric returned in kind. Just because they were trying to kill each other didn't mean they couldn't be civilized, after all. Then the man advanced. His blade flicked upward, then abruptly descended toward Radric's front knee. Nearly taken by the initial feint, Radric froze for half a heartbeat. Too late, he pivoted backwards, moving his front leg to the rear, but not before taking a deep cut to his thigh above his kneecap. Grimacing at the flash of pain, and ignoring the cheers from several enemy soldiers as their fellow finally drew blood, Radric cut downward with his saber in time with his pivot. The razor-sharp edge of his weapon arced toward his opponent. The man's eyes widened, and he pushed backward off the balls of his feet, his only defensive option with his blade still whistling downward and follow through from his cut. Blade and man both were a blur of motion that suddenly stilled. A fine spray of red flicked from the tip of Radric's saber, which was otherwise unstained. The man blinked, and his jaw dropped open in bafflement as he raised his left hand to the side of his neck. As his fingers touched the skin of his throat, blood began flowing from the cut. At first, it was a slow seep. Then it became a spurting rush. The man's eyes widened and he stumbled backwards a half-step. Then his sword dropped from the suddenly limp fingers of his right hand and he fell to the ground in a heap. A low sigh seemed to emanate from the enemy forces as Radric's foe fell. One and all, those nearby all wore expressions of stunned disbelief. As he watched, their fighting spirit seeped out of them, almost in time with the last of his opponent's lifeblood as it left the wound in his neck. The momentary lull ended as Radric's comrades took up a loud enthusiastic battle cry and surged forward, passing him on either side as they charged. The enemy fell back before their renewed onslaught. Entire platoons fell before anyone in the enemy camp tried to rally the troops, but by then, it was too late. Inside of a half hour, the kingdom's army swept the field, leaving only a few of the enemy wounded alive to see the sunset. Besting the enemy army's champion in single combat, Corporal Balatir single-handedly dealt a devastating blow to enemy morale. 
enabling our forces to win a decisive victory. Corporal Ballotier's unflinching bravery, unrivaled skill at arms, and stalwart example reflected great credit upon himself and were in keeping with the highest principles of service to the throne. The brigade's executive officer finished reading the citation as the colonel pinned a medal, green and blue fabric separated by a strip of gold from which dangled two miniature cross swords made of silver, onto the breast of his uniform doublet. Congratulations, corporal, he said. Thank you, sir. The colonel returned his salute, then turned to the assembled troops and led them in a round of applause. Radric stood at attention and tried not to blush at all the attention. Soon enough, the official ceremony was over and Radric limped down from the podium. He was eager to get back to his tent and change into less formal and more comfortable attire. And for a bath and a good night's sleep, followed by a week of leave back in Callis. It wasn't often that a soldier could partake in such luxuries, but the high command tended to pull out the stops after a great victory. And by any measure, last week's battle had been just that. His squad intercepted him at the bottom of the stairs. The five men he knew best in the world clustered around him, offering their congratulations along with good-natured quips, then walked with him back to their tents. It was a slow journey, and not just because of his injury. Throughout the camp, men he knew by name, by face, or not at all stopped to wish him well. One and all, they wore the exuberant expression of men who had not just survived, but conquered, in the face of what they all thought going into it was almost certain death. The mood at their company's tents was more subdued, though. Men were hurrying about, putting their gear in order as though getting ready for action instead of preparing to go on leave. What was going on? The platoon sergeant answered the question as soon as he saw Radric and his squad. Leave's cancelled. We're heading out. Radric's spirits, soaring high a moment ago, sank like a stone. Where to? The scouts uncovered an enemy outpost about twenty miles from here. We're to take it out. The company assembled on the crest of the hill overlooking the enemy outpost. To Radric, it didn't look like much more than a country village. It consisted of fifteen or twenty buildings clustered around a central green. There was a small encampment of some sort on the east side of town, halfway around the town from their hill. Maybe that was the target. Doesn't look like much, does it? Hinderbrook said. Radric looked sidelong at him and grunted. Hmm. The scouts say it's a key outpost. Is everyone else ready? Hinderbrook nodded. Good. You know the signal. Little else needed to be said. The men in Radric's squad were well drilled at this point. Months in combat conditions had melded them into a team that was second to none. Sometimes it almost seemed like they were reading each other's thoughts, the way they fought as a unit. It was a beautiful thing to see in action. There was not long to wait. Maybe ten minutes later, the word passed down the line to make ready. Radric gripped his reins more tightly and forced down his growing anxiety. He needed to be cool and collected to lead his men correctly. It would be all the more important since he was not at his fighting best. Then a whistle sounded from the center of the line and was picked up by the platoon leaders. Advance at a trot. Radric dug his heels into his horse's flanks and began to post in time with her steps. Again into battle. Would there never be an end? Where? was the enemy. Everywhere Radric looked, old men, women, and children fled before the company's advance. But not a one of them had a weapon of any kind. Confusion reigned on the faces of his squad members as well. They had their weapons at the ready, but there was no one to use them on. The scouts and intelligence people had fed them bad information before, but never this bad. At the platoon leader's order, Radric veered away from the main column and led his men to investigate a collection of outbuildings. Eager to actually accomplish something, his men fanned out as they neared the buildings. Dismounting, they quickly kicked in all the doors and conducted a search. 
Their faces, when they returned, were more confused and almost dejected. Just a few kids hiding out. Other than that, there's nothing here at all, Corporal, Laramie reported. Better bring the kids along so we can muster them with the others. We don't want them getting hurt by mistake. Right. It took a few minutes to get the kids out of their hiding spot. In the end, Hillbreath had to sing a song to coax them out. He had a fine singing voice and a kind nature, so these sorts of things always seemed to fall on him. Soon enough, though, they were all formed up with the smaller kids riding ahead of them on their saddles and the bigger kids walking alongside. They made for the town commons, or whatever the locals called the Central Green. Standard procedure was to muster civilians there, where they could be accounted for, while the unit finished its sweep. That had the dual effect of preventing surprises during the search and minimizing the chance of harming the civilians. Suddenly, a plume of smoke began to rise from the other side of the village, then a second, and a third. Screams reached Radric's ears, coming from the direction of the commons. What was going on? Radric reined in and turned to his men. They all looked as nervous and confused as he did. Let the kids down! Radric looked for the oldest of the children and pointed at him. You there! Do you know a better hiding spot than those buildings we found you in? The youth nodded, his eyes wild with fright. You're in charge. Take the others and go there. Do not come out again until you see me come back and tap myself on the head with the flat of my sword. Do you understand? The youth nodded and began hurting the other children together. Seeing that he had things in hand, Radric turned to his men. Let's go. Keep on the alert. Weapons drawn, his squad charged into the village at a canter. More smoke plumes were rising now, and the screams and shouts were louder than ever. Biting back a curse, Radric turned into the commons. And cursed out loud. The commons was a scene right out of a slaughterhouse. Everywhere he looked lay hacked civilian bodies. Soldiers, mounted or on foot, chased down fleeing people and cut them down without hesitation. Some unfortunate women did not get that mercy. Several had been stripped naked and were being raped by soldiers. On the far side of the commons, a large group of civilians was being herded into a large building. The town hall, maybe. Sitting on their horses in the center of the commons, the company officers pointed and shouted orders. What in the hell is going on here? Radric demanded in a fury. Just then, the soldiers finished herding the civilians into the building. Then they chained the doors shut and backed away. The company commander, a grizzled older captain, glanced at Radric and scowled. New orders from high command, corporal. Scorched earth. Take no prisoners and leave no support for the enemy. Send a message that continued resistance means death for everyone. Though his tone of voice was strong as always, his posture and expression said he was as troubled by this change as Radric was. That did not stop him from turning to the soldier leading the contingent who had just herded the civilians into the building and ordering, Burn it. The soldier looked a bit sick, but saluted and turned away to carry out the order. Was he serious? Radric barked, No, sir, we cannot do this. The captain's scowl became deeper. We can, and we will. More specifically, you will. Private. The soldier who received the order to burn the building turned, flaming torch in hand. The captain gestured to Radric. Turn the duty over, Private. To Radric, he said, Burn it, Corporal. Do it now. The private handed the torch over, looking relieved to be rid of it. Unable to believe what was happening, Radric looked down at the torch in his hand, then back at the officers. Behind him, the members of his squad murmured amongst themselves. He knew they were as discontent as he was. The officers noted his hesitation and turned their horses to face him. The captain leaned forward and spoke in an even, cold tone. Light the fire, corporal. 
or I'll have you up on charges for disobeying a lawful order and hanged this very night. Decoration or no? I guess if you're getting a dessert, there's a whole lot reason, worse reasons to do it than that, right? Uh, wholesale slaughter of entire villages, generally not a good plan. Now granted, that's a little bit of a application of modern sensibilities, right? Wasn't always completely verboten to do that Hell, all through history. Um, there were times when it was it was a routine. And look at the Mongols, right? Their whole conquest west, it was one chance to surrender. If you, didn't sur if you surrendered, hey, good, you're just enslaved. If you didn't, they killed everybody. God told Joshua and the Israelites to slaughter every person that was in the promised land down to the last soul. And of course they didn't because it's one thing those guys never seemed to be able to do was follow God's orders very well. But uh, I once saw a plot, is total aside, a, a, a plot of modern day Israel and surrounds and putting down the locations of the various tribes that they fought back in the day, and with so uh, modern-day Israel overlaid with the kingdom of Israel back in the day, and where the various tribes were. And it's very interesting where all the tribes they didn't slaughter are the exact places where there's still conflict now. <laughs> Take that for what it's worth. But anyway, but yeah, they're not the only ones either, right? Um, the description of the sacking of Jer Jerusalem when the first crusaders came by is fairly... fairly uh, Graphic, of course, some hyperbole there, right? Because they said it was like knee deep, knee deep blood running through the streets. I don't know about that, but uh, you know, and certainly the Muslim conquests were bad. And hell, don't get. And then there's the Aztecs. I mean, for goodness' sake, those guys—they wouldn't just kill you; they'd kill everybody except for a few. Take those few back to their temple and cut their hearts out as a sacrifice to their god, right? So, uh, so point is, the whole "Hey, don't touch civilians" thing is very in some ways, a very modern um, outlook. Although, you know, not just like 20th century modern. I think pretty much going back to at least medieval Europe, um, wanton, wantonly killing everybody uh, in, in warfare was generally frowned upon. And you know, I think if you look at uh, the Japanese and the Chinese, they didn't really, when they had their wars, they wouldn't go slaughter everybody. Um, so it's not completely a modern sensibility, but maybe a little. But it doesn't matter, because this is not Earth. This is a world I created, and it could be whatever I want it to be. So that's all good. Anyway, so, um, yeah, that's what we got for this week. Hope you liked it. Uh, tune back in for the next time, and until then, spread the word, buy the book, but don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. 
All rights reserved. <laughs>